Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring car and bikes if it has wheels and an engine and they keep score it's on midweek motorsport hello everybody this is john hindorf and this is a very special midweek motorsport it's just after eight o'clock in the uk uh, but this week, something a little bit different. We're going to take a look at the 2016 World Endurance Championship from the perspective of Audi, Toyota and Porsche. I'm actually at the moment in the Audi Training Centre just beside Munich Airport. And just over an hour ago, we had the first look at the new Audi R18 e-tron Quattro for 2016. We'll talk about that with Dr. Wolfgang Ulrich and Chris Renke in a little while. We also will have a word with Pierre Fion, the president of the ACO, on some changes to what we've seen in the last few years at Le Mans. But first of all, I want to nip back 24 hours when Graham Goodwin and I were on our way down here and we called in at Cologne to see Toyota at their motor racing headquarters in Europe to talk to them about their plans for 2016 and first of all to talk to the man at the head of the project Rob Leupen. Yeah we would like to forget 2015 if we look forward to 2016 uh, as, as we have spoken in the prologue our expectations were much higher as where we in the end uh, where we are in the end uh, two podiums two third places is not what uh, we have expected so it became really clear after spa and uh, we already were considering how we can change this for 2016 and uh, after the meet uh, the the <coughs> le mans test day we we say have set together and we have decided to start with the development of the 16 car a bit earlier move it forward and to change also um, yeah the the plan for the next two development years. So we talk about 16, 17, and we have decided to put everything in 16 for, yeah, to come back on, on the level of where our competitors are today or even, we say, be beyond them. So we will come with an all-new car in 2016. We built the car. We have developed the car, uh, the chassis here at TMG, where we are currently in Cologne. Uh, of course, the wind tunnel program was <clears throat> increased. We have put more resources on the wind tunnel program to, uh, we say, um, improve everything what we can do on the chassis side. Uh, we have uh, start uh, really to investigate and simulate uh, in comparison to our competitors where we need to enforce. The powertrain will be changed. Uh, we will come with an all-new powertrain with a turbo engine and a battery uh, hybrid system uh, targeting the 8 megajoule. 
Um, no, I will not say how the displacement of the engine will be and not how many cylinders and which kind of V-grades on how many turbos. Um, but it will be turbo and we will come with, we say, an all-new car in 2016, the TSO50. This car will have its first rollout in January. And we will then continue until the prologue with developing it. Um, yeah, and we will see then how the performance is. But what we know today is that we are looking better as where we are with the two C two TSO40. And uh, yes, the, the ability of the car to make a bigger breakfast, as what we have seen <laughs> in the promotion video, will be very evident. You say uh, a completely new car. And when you say that, you mean literally from the ground up. There's the the chassis is a redesign, is a, a different concept, or is just something new, and that there's there's no carryover. Um, there is on the chassis part hardly any carryover. Of course, what we have done is that we use the TSO40 in those races also as a test carrier. And we have developed during the activities this year uh, parts on the car which we can carry over into next year. Mm -hmm. We are very clever engineers, we have a very clever project leader, so uh, definitely uh, we have evaluated the systems, uh, we have simulated them uh, to make them ready for next year. Of course, these are not com components you have to homologate because you can't do this during the race season, but these mm -hmm. are things you look into for next year. So there we have done it. This... Um, and we say, yes, we have a whole new monocoque. Uh, the position of the drivers uh, will be slightly changed, but especially because we come with a, a new hybrid system, which requires a complete new work on the monocoque. Uh, weight is an extremely and very costly item in the regulations. Uh, we several times mentioned this, that the weight level where we are now costs a lot of resources to achieve this, and you need to get to that weight target or under the weight target, um, not on under all circumstances, but it would be very important to be there um, and uh, we say we look at the suspension we have looked we will come with an all new gearbox uh, everything is new our colleagues at TMC we are doing the engine and the uh, hybrid system they have done an all new engine an all new hybrid system it's all put now together uh, we are simulating it we're working very closely together so it's working yeah. and uh, the numbers which we are getting makes us look smiling a bit. <laughs> we have to be careful because we did smile in the prologue last year, yeah. this year, yes. and we were two seconds quicker or even a bit more. The others were six or seven seconds quicker, so heck, that was a jump which we didn't expect and we didn't anticipate it on that level. So this is another estimation. I think also if we see the developments which especially Porsche has done on the turbo, we also have underestimated maybe some of the developments on this side. And uh, yeah, lessons learned and that will happen only once. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about the weight of the cars. Difficult to get down to that weight, not impossible, but costly. Yes. What in your estimation would be a more user-friendly weight then for these cars? Put 25, 35, 40 kilos on top. All right, so we're not talking about hundreds of kilos here. But these are important for performance. And if you take 10 kilos to Le Mans, you know that you would say nearly around about 0 0.5, 0 0.6 seconds a lap. So multiply it with four, you know where you are. Mm. Yeah, okay, maybe one car five, it depends on how, what you run, but this is five tenths a second. But yeah, this is what you're targeting, you're targeting for. The lap in Le Mans is for us there where we develop the car to, not yes. the other races. So there you do this. And uh, then if you need to look and investigate a new monocoque material, new composites material, to look for other materials, to experiment to get this out. Uh, yeah, and if you are overweight, you'd like to need to come down. And if you come up with a new engine, you'd like to come down. So we... 
we think it's very costly. We employ for this more engineers. We do some material experts on this. Uh, Porsche has done what I could read in one of the newspapers. Uh, also a big, say, development on their monocoque, also the production side of it. Yes, this is costly. And is it a pure performance issue? No. The weight, 30, 40 kilos more on the car, does that make our spectators looking differently to the race? No. It's interesting, isn't it? And, and we have, of course, slightly different regulations for Le Mans, although not at uh, the other circuits this year. Because of its uh, FIA standing, you have a limitation now on the uh, amount of hybrid energy that you can deploy. Will that change materially what we will see as spectators? Will it change materially how you guys engineer the cars at Le Mans? No, nope, marginally. Um, it's just top, take the top off, but you can still use the 8 megajoule or the 6 megajoule on the whole lap. Alone, you're not allowed to boost more than so much kilowatt. I don't know if I think it's 280 or whatever it is. So uh, that doesn't make much because we still have the 6 megajoule or the 8 megajoule for the whole lap. So you yeah. just don't, uh, you're not so quick out of the corner or in, in the traffic. Mm. But with our eyes, we might not even see that. Is there an easy way to regulate that? I mean, is it just literally turning a setting up yes. or down? Yeah, it's simple. It's uh, the mapping of, of, of the powertrain. Right. And you're not allowed to boost more than this, then you, the That's cap is there. Yeah. yeah. But so when we go to the other tracks the way we, and you have all of it, it will be a, 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 a simple matter of reprogramming a system. A software change and we're boosting what we can and want to do at that time because you don't put your full boost in this uh, at the displacement of the driver. You give the full boost based on the strategy on the whole lap. You have to train the driver to go that direction. At 3 minutes 20 is the target time that the ACO want to see at Le Mans. We beat that last year, 3.19s in, in the race. Is that being optimistic? for the ACO with the regulations as they stand right now and with how you guys are and your competitors are continual, continually developing? I think we will be low 320. Okay. I'll hold you to that. I'll, we'll have a beer maybe at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we will be low 320 again. If there's no difference in regulations, there is a slight difference in the look of the calendar for the FIA World Endurance Championship. We, we started the prologue again, which I have to say... I, Thoroughly enjoy that event. I think that's been a good addition. Early part of the season looks the same through to uh, Le Mans Test and, and Le Mans. But we have a, an extra event this year going to, to South America. How's that affected how you've looked at your programme and your ability to field? Well, I haven't asked you actually. Uh, fielding two cars for the, the full season? We're fielding two cars for the full season. The programme we have designed after we have spoken our thinking was spoken to ACO and to the WEC was on, based on eight races. So to get the information a few weeks later after Nürburgring, where we got the confirmation on eight to go to nine races, is a big issue for us. First of all, you, see, you need to see what country you go. And if you go to Mexico, Mexico City, you go up to 2,400 meter altitude. Mm -hmm. That means our engineers are screaming for additional budgets because... You have a completely different circumstances of a race on that altitude with the air, with the heat, with the downforce on cars. So that's one issue. The other issue is if you are in a multinational company like Toyota, and I also can speak in this, for our, in this way for our competitors, you have budget processes. So mm -hmm. what we have said is that we will make no compromise on our development budget as we have to catch up like hell. 
uh, towards a eighth or a ninth raise. So we kept ourselves and have kept the decision. If we would not get additional budget, we would not start at Mexico. Right. Fortunately, we have been able to secure. Okay. Uh, also, what the support comes from the WEC has helped this. But in the process of developing a championship, I think that we, manufacturers as stakeholders, as well as also the privateers, should be informed much earlier. Mm -hmm. And I think we should have also a say in the calendar where we go, because we spend our money there for one reason. It's to marketeer our DNA, for example, the hybrid system. And that means also that if Toyota wants to have a race in Mexico, we would put this on and we would put this on for discussion. I think it's, that's the much better concept as to ask or to say you go to Mexico and say, yes, ooh, what are we going to do in Mexico now? Brazil for us is also a very interesting country. Um, so a ninth race in Brazil or Mexico, Bosta, would have there been an alternative? It's just now hypothetical discussion, but yeah. uh, we as manufacturers, and I think I can speak as we are aligned on this for, not for Audi, but we say in the same line as Audi and Porsche, is want to have better and more involvement in these strategic decisions. That's not to say that you're fundamentally against a ninth race. It just needs to be done in a, a manner that allows you to plan for it and in a market that makes sense for you to be there. Exactly. And we would even think about a 10th race uh, oh, really? in the near future. And I don't think 16 is impossible. 17 maybe not, don't know. But uh, also here, uh, when we discuss these with the other manufacturers, we are looking for a collective discussion with the WEC on this. And we are not against more races, but the question is where, when, and let us have our uh, planning cycles uh, to be able uh, yeah, to support the WEC we want to have a bit of a higher level of professionalism on that side. As far as Le Mans concerned, uh, middle of the season, sort of in, in terms of time, not in, in in racing. Two or three cars for Le Mans this year? Uh, this year, I think we limited still to two cars right. uh, because we have a lot of things to catch up. I think it also has other reasons because um, we say it's not purely on the budget side. It's also on where we have to focus this year. Um, and that is mainly on a new all-complete car, which I think will bring the performance, but where we need to focus on is on the reliability. Uh, it's not like a TSO 40 where we're confident to go. Mm. Um, but I think I can say that uh, our people in Japan have recognized that a third car makes sense, mm. uh, but not for 16. Okay. We've not long uh, since come away from the lovely heat of, of Bahrain. And a test at the end of the season. You guys were involved in it. Uh, and some drivers who perhaps might not have got a chance to sit behind the wheel of, of prototype cars. Uh, how, as a company and a team, did you feel about that? And how specifically did the guys go who got in the car? Those two guys who were in our car would have been in our car anyway. Ah. Uh, <clears throat> not at that time. Uh, but I think that's the good thing about it. Uh, it's also quite efficient to do this. Uh, you are there in Bahrain, good racing conditions. We were, we say, very pleased with the performance of both of them. Sam, of course, uh, has good experiences in, uh, in LMP races. Alex didn't have any. Uh, but Sam Bird and Alex Lynn, we should say, uh, yes, for those Sam who don't Bird, know yet. Yeah, Sam Bird and Alex Lynn. Uh, but we were very pleased with their performance, and we hope to give them another chance. We had GP2 and GP3 sharing the paddock at, at Bahrain. It was very interesting to see how many people were wandering across from GP2 and GP3 to have a look. Is, is that where we're going to see the prototype drivers of the future coming from? 
Possibly yes, definitely. We say I think there is there are very talented drivers there. They are young. That's we say something which is in endurance racing, especially with the lower slower categories, mm. difficult because that means also you need to build up experience. These drivers don't have this, but yes, they are good. They have we say we saw with Alex Lynn that he really got some potential. Um, we I think offer with the WEC um, a further possibility besides Formula One. So we should also from our side be open to welcome these drivers to be able to test them to give them a chance to go for a shootout or for a test in our car and we see what happens on the other side then we look on uh, on drivers like Sam Bird who don't who do have the experience uh, they will have the same chance so the market might become bigger uh, we find that it's not very difficult um, to get drivers uh, <laughs> especially in a situation where Alex Woods has uh, said that it will be the end of his career and um, yes we will then find out that uh, we are very interesting although our car last year was not amongst the fastest in terms of 2016 your car rolling for the first time in in early January will you expect to take two cars to the prologue the prologue, we say, we expect to take two cars, depends on what our situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, uh, I'm waiting on confirmation from some rule change, regulation change for next year. Um, as uh, the test days uh, are limited, yes. so it depends on what the situation is, and especially depends on how we can manage the test days before we go to Le Mans. So this is, uh, we say, to reduce costs. Uh, we have asked our engineers also to manage test days, to manage testing itself, which is one of the most expensive expensive activities within it. And therefore, uh, at the present moment, we schedule two. It could be that we drop one. Depends on where we are in the situation. We saw through the 2015 season your competitors uh, mixing and matching bodywork aero kits um, came up with a a hybrid solution not in terms of of their power plants but it wasn't always the most obvious solution that worked particularly for for audi um in terms of your car for 2016 the tso uh, 50 have you already started to to plan for the inevitable changes that will be uh, we'll see on the car at le mans or is that something that you do in season as I said before, focus for us is always Le Mans, and I also assume for the other competitors. So we build for Le Mans, and the rest we build around. Uh, I don't think that you have seen our car so much hybrid. No. Uh, um, trusting our engineers that it will not happen next year. Mm-hmm. Although, we say also here, cost re- uh, reduction, uh, body kits for next year, three for 2072. So we have to do our job very well. And we might look then into hybrid solutions or we say look into solutions where you combine body parts with each other for yeah. the different circuits. One of the other items on exactly that agenda is the usage of tyres uh, from qualifying through to the race. With some exceptions this year, um, depending on the circuit, it's it's been six or, or eight sets mm-hmm. of, of tyres. You've not had any tyre problems this year. Some of your competitors have. Is that something that you have to consider now when you're designing the car from first principles? And, and has that gone into the TSO 50? I think tyres is one of the key to for performance and factors. So you always design your cars to be as nice as possible to the tyre and get the maximum performance from this. So from the cost point of view side, if you say use six or eight sets in comparison to all the other activities you could limit it's it's not significant it all every piece helps but it's not mm. the main issue you will always try to design a car which is very nice to tires 
And if this is the case, you already have an advantage if others have a problem with it. Mm. So big focus will be on this, a big focus in our simulation, our cooperation also with especially Michelin. Therefore, we're also very happy with the background of Pascal, uh, who comes from Michelin and has this huge experience. So I think uh, we try to be very nice to tires uh, as well as also to fuel consumption, which helps. Um, and therefore, we start to love turbos. It has been undoubtedly a great season of racing. Um, tactics, whether it's tyres, fuel consumption, double stints, have always been a part of endurance racing. We have seen some remarkable racing um, at the front of the field. You guys were much close at the front of the field in in Bahrain. Um, whilst I know it wasn't the season that you wanted, Rob, do you take a little bit of momentum from that a little bit of confidence does it just make the team feel a little bit better coming off a, a better result at Bahrain where you were a factor and right the way through that race you your cars were a factor in where the world championship went in fact yes we were the factor because the others uh, had a problem hmm? that's we, endurance racing I know it's endurance racing but you want to be the one who is creating the factors <laughs> the one who is deciding and what we could do in 2014 we couldn't repeat in 2015 and I think it was for the whole team a very very hard season what do I take away from Bahrain not particularly Bahrain but from the whole season is we didn't have any major changes in the team right. uh, the drivers had a tough time, but they stayed. And uh, they see and they saw that the action of the team was to make a better car for 16, that we're working hard to get the budgets, to get um, the support we needed to overcome this. Uh, the engineers and the mechanics did a great job anyway. We say they used the year to not to lose momentum, to train yes. themselves. Of course, there were some problems here and there. Of course, we say sometimes uh, you are a bit would you say frustrated mm -hmm. to be on five and six again after qualifying and be in five and six again on, in the race but I think uh, what we got from it is that the team has has grown together mm -hmm. we still said we are professionals we have to do a good show we are we say here for Toyota we should sell them and sell us in the best possible way and uh, we will be back stronger next year there can't be complete consistency uh, in, from last year with Alex having stepped away Clearly that means you've got to replace at least one of your drivers. When will we hear that and is it likely that the other drivers will remain as, as they were or will you take the opportunity perhaps, and I don't expect any detail, to, to mix and max, match the, the driver set up between the cars? You will get much less as you expect. We will announce early February. Rob Lightman from Toyota talking to me from their European headquarters for motorsport and will be more from Toyota in this special midweek motorsport as we talk to Pascal Vassal on the man at the head of Toyota Gazoo Racing's team uh, a little later on in the show. We're here at Munich for the Audi Sport finale for 2015, their celebration of everything at motorsport and we'll be speaking to their principals in a little while on the details of the 2016 Challenger, the R18 e-tron Quattro, but before that Let's check in with one of their challengers, Porsche. They've had a fantastic 2015 season. And last week on Midweek Motorsport, we spoke to the engineer of the number 17 car, which took the Drivers' Championship, Kyle Wilson-Clark, who talked us through the trials and tribulations of a World Championship season. Well, earlier in the week, Alex Hitziger, the project manager for the 919 hybrid at Porsche, spoke to me on the telephone. And I began by asking him to sum up the 2015 season. I don't think anybody could have expected such a 
success because at the end of the day we really have won everything. I mean, we've won the two championships, Le Mans. We set a new lap time record in Le Mans. We have won all eight qualifying double pole. So we really have won everything and nobody could have expected that. So from that point of view, it is really an incredible season and uh, it will be very difficult to top that, obviously. Let's not forget that from your first win in 2014, it was barely a year later until you were lifting all of those championships in, in Bahrain. How were you able to make such strides forward from the end of 2014 into and through 2015? Uh, the reason is simply because it is, was a completely new car in 2015. So 2014 was a learning year, was the first shot on, the, on with the car. Um, and we have um, opted for uh, an aggressive concept. Um, and we have learned a lot in 2014, and it, you know, it was clear in which areas we can improve the performance. And we have really done this very consequently, so without uh, really any compromises, um, built on the lessons learned from 2014 and made a brand new car for 2015. That's where the big performance steps come from. It wasn't without problems, in fairness. You said aggressive. I would say also very brave. Porsche is a big name in sports car racing, and a lot of people simply expect Porsche, because of your history in endurance racing, to be able to come in and start to win straight away. In 15, it didn't start that well. You had problems with the 17 and the 18 car in the first couple of races. Was there a point at, at that stage of the early part of the season where you thought, oh my goodness, we might have been too aggressive? So I, I never thought we were too aggressive. I mean, this is just my approach, and um, I, I believe you have to take risks in order to make big gains. So, so no risk, no return at the end of the day. Uh, it's all about managing that risk. So now I was, uh, I was quite confident that the approach was correct, but still, it's it's also about execution. It's not surprising or was not surprising at all to have some problems in the beginning because with a brand new car with a very short uh, development uh, time, uh, it's just natural. Uh, and I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that our competitors will uh, go through the same thing next year when they make new cars. So it was, it was entirely uh, expected. From that point of view, I was not overly concerned uh, and or disappointed. Uh, actually, the contrary, I think the Silverstone performance was very good in comparison to what I expected because obviously I, I took a uh, clear compromise or made a clear compromise in Silverstone in terms of aero, uh, so in terms of downforce level, uh, in order to maximize the preparation time for Le Mans, so that was a clear strategic decision. So from that point of view, the, the performance was good in Silverstone, the performance was good in Spa, but Spa was a wake-up call, because in Spa we should have won. Uh, we had the three fastest cars in Spa, uh, three fastest cars in Spa, and we did not win. And that was really a wake-up call, because we made uh, mistakes in, in various areas, and uh, then we really pulled it together and uh, we learned our lesson from Spa and we really pulled all the stops and looked into everywhere again 
in terms of uh, also reliability, in terms of processes and so on. Maybe that was the right wake-up call in preparation for Le Mans. Le Mans was a, a, a huge and, and an historic victory, the 17th for Porsche overall at the world's greatest motor race, and thus began a completely different story in the FIA WEC. Was that particularly satisfying, Alex? Yes, very much, because at the end of the day, up to that point, three and a half years of very, very hard work has gone into that one event end of the day. This was not a, a result of a, of a performance on one day. This was the result of a performance over three and a half years. The whole strategy, the development strategy, all the decisions, strategic decisions building up to that were geared to win that event in that year. Mm. Uh, and it all came together on the point and we won it and uh, yeah, that, uh, that was extremely satisfactory. Uh, and then the 17 car went on an extraordinary run of victories. That doesn't come by accident, does it? Oh, no, no. It's, again, it's just the result of a, of a well-implemented strategy. We made some compromises on the fir- in the first two races, in particular Silverstone on the, on the aero uh, development in order to maximise the preparation for Le Mans. But once the Le Mans aero development was done we fully focused on the aero development for the second half of the season and and there we did not go for any compromise anymore Mm -hmm. we we optimized the aero package for the remaining uh, tracks and i I knew that we will make a big step and and that's where the performance comes from in the in the second season where the, the aero the aero characteristic was matched was perfectly matched to the remaining uh, races or the characteristic of these uh, races and of course we have also continued developing all other areas of the car being tire management being set up so vehicle dynamics uh, we made further improvements on all the control systems I mean, which are which are very important in terms of the mm. performance of the of the overall package I mean, we have so many control systems on these cars they are so complex <laughs> which per definition creates a lot of potential in terms of performance. It wasn't perfect, as we said. There was uh, a couple of issues. Quarter, certainly of the Americas, uh, with the 18 car and the now infamous Juliet 6 issue, which I don't expect you'll tell me exactly what that was. And then the nail-biting issues for the 17 car with the the throttle actuation in Bahrain that could have cost Mm -hmm. the Drivers' World Championship it's a prototype car, and we push, and it's a. These are this is a sprint race at mm. the end of the day. So uh, you don't drive eighty five percent. You drive hundred percent flat out six hours. Uh, so the stress on the on the car is very high, but also the components they never get tested and developed to a let's say a serious production level where we, where you have these extremely high quality levels. Obviously, we do everything possible um, to ensure the quality of the individual components through quality control and also measurements and and so on. But nevertheless, depth of development on a prototype will never be uh, as as deep. Uh, So there's always uh, a risk that you you have a failure in some part. It doesn't matter if it's a very complex part or if it's just a simple cheap bolt which cold which which costs a few cents or whatever and all these cars are made up of 
roughly 7,000 parts uh, with comparatively very little testing. So the, the risk of failure is always there. The unbelievable um, leaps forward in lap times in 2015, uh, that is not down clearly to just one aspect of the car. It's not one area uh, which made the performance step. Uh, in, in fact, the performance comes really from uh, quite equally spread from uh, the main areas like uh, aerodynamics, like um, engine so combustion engine performance and uh, the hybrid system, the step from, from 6 to 8 megajoules, tire management, weight, because in 2014 we were overweight. So you have like five key performance areas which all almost you know, equally contributed to this big performance step. The battery technology has not dramatically changed between 2014 and 15. What we have done there is we have just become more, again, more efficient. Uh, we have reduced the weight of the battery, but the basic technology, uh, the, the core concept hasn't changed. Let's look ahead to 2016. Some changes to the way the FIA World Endurance Championship looks, not in the regulations. What, if anything, can you tell us about the 2016-919 hybrid so, yeah, it, it will look different uh, um, just because obviously we do aerodynamic development and therefore the bodywork changes. Um, we will carry over and, uh, the structural parts of the chassis uh, because they, we, have done, we have made them new uh, for 15, so we carry them over for 16. It's this pretty common practice that you keep the structural parts for, for two seasons. Everything else we will pretty much touch. Everything else will be further developed. So being aerodynamics, being uh, engine, being uh, know, reducing further weight, suspension, um, we, we will touch pretty much every area of the car. So there will be, for sure, uh, import, uh, performance improvements. Uh, and there will be still some risks, obviously, as always, when you, when you uh, change things, and we will also make some conceptual changes. However, the fact that designing, manufacturing, developing new structural components is a big task, a task which we don't have to do for 16, means we have more resources on concentrating on the other areas, which should be a positive in terms of performance development, it should be a positive in terms of the risks we are taking in terms of reliability. So that overall should be a benefit for us compared to our competition. But on the other side, the competition will make a megajoule step, which is already a performance gain, which we will not have because we're already in the 8 megajoule class. So we will have to overcompensate this performance gain from the competition in other areas. The calendar looks a little bit different, Alex, as well. An, an extra round in Mexico, a round that will be at altitude, great altitude. That gives you some new challenges? Yes, uh, absolutely. That will be an interesting race, mainly in terms of uh, cooling requirements, in terms of aerodynamic requirements. It, it will be uh, an interesting race because it's uh, definitely a bit of an outlier.
Simulation is so important nowadays. Is that something that you can simulate and that you can get some at least baseline figures on as to as to how particularly the aero uh, and the engines will behave at such extreme altitude? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when I, we will simulate and we'll get proper predictions in terms of uh, cooling requirements and aero uh, behavior and things like this, for sure. And, uh, uh, our simulation tools are quite sophisticated by now. The other thing that's changed, of course, is uh, at Le Mans, uh, Audi, yourself, Toyota, will only have uh, two cars this year. How does it affect your preparation for Le Mans, having two cars only rather than three? At the end of the day, I expect all manufacturers will be there with two cars. So let's put it that way. It's a level playing field. It's the same for everybody, and uh, I'm a big fan of that. So from that point of view, uh, it's not a disappointment. It's not, it's not a problem. I think it's the right sign and to show that we are willing to um, look at areas how we can reduce cost. Uh, in, in, to some respect, uh, you know, it will make the preparation a bit easier. Uh, we have less parts to handle. So overall, it's okay. No problem. How do you deal with, with the human side of it, Alex? Mm. Well, that, that is, uh, I mean, I feel sorry for these guys. Uh, I mean, Nico probably wouldn't have been able to run anyway because of the clash with the F1 calendar. But all, all the other two guys, I mean, I, I feel I feel sorry, sorry uh, for Nick and for all, but uh, I mean, at the end of the day, that that's life. Now we, we can't do anything about it. Uh, and there will be seasons uh, in the future where... Uh, they might get the chance again. There would be no thought of transplanting them into one of the cars purely for Le Mans. You would keep your WEC driving squads intact throughout the whole season. Uh, absolutely, we have confirmed our driver lineup for next year. Is it possible to imagine that we will see the same kinds of leap forward in performance from the WEC LMP1 category? The rate of, of development last year, particularly from yourselves, was extraordinary. Performance development for sure will, will flatten off. So let's say the, the rate of increase will, will slow down. Uh, it, will, um, it will slow down a bit. Then we have to consider that actually for 16, um, the regulations change a bit. So we, w- the um, amount of uh, fuel energy uh, will be reduced and, and also the maximum fuel flow will be reduced, which basically will slow us, slow us down, which is roughly in Le Mans uh, around about three, four seconds a lap, which will be slower. Um, and then, you know, this will be offset by whatever performance gain we, we make. So you're already trying to claw some of that three, four seconds back. 3.20 is the time that the ACO would like to see at Le Mans. Uh, you guys smashed the race lap record last year. Is as, as another sub 3.20 lap at Le Mans in 2016, given the new parameters? Is that still a possibility? I think so. Alex Hitzinger from Porsche there, talking to me on the telephone earlier on this week. You're listening to a Midweek Motorsport special as we look forward to the 2016 season of FIA World Endurance Championship and the Le Mans 24 Hours. We're here at the Audi Training Centre at Munich having about an hour or so ago, a little bit more than that now, had the first public viewing 
of the brand new Challenger from Audi, the R18 e-tron Quattro, has gone through another iteration and it's distinctively different in its looks. The man who has to head up this project is Chris Renger. He's a regular here on RadioLamont.com and earlier on this evening I asked him about the project. As we have for next year, completely new machinery. Um, this work is on the way probably for yeah, a good two years already. Um, obviously detailed out in the car now in existence also already for yeah, a good two months. Um, and you see, you know, looking at the car, the mission is clear and the attitude. Uh, we lost out this year on the big trophies. We come back for next year and the war paint is on. Clear message from everyone who's spoken here that championships, not just race wins, but championships and big race wins like Le Mans are on the agenda. This car has a, a very different look to it, much higher nose, looks like the driver's feet are going to be a bit higher, different dry, driving position, very bluff front ends. So you are changing the philosophy of the car from the current R18? wouldn't go that far that we finished complete philosophy, but for sure uh, we revolutionised the, the package itself, and you're correct that the driver position is, is uh, different. Uh, we have a much more extreme uh, front car package, um, once again to make room for aerodynamics, as you could have seen in, in the front of the car. So, you know, it, it's a radical big step. You played with a little bit of front-end aerodynamics this year underneath uh, in the second half of the season, there was a secondary aero uh, package that went in there. Has that influenced the decision-making on the 2016 car? That was already on the way, as it's, it relies on the concept which was taken much earlier. So this doesn't have a direct relation. At the back end as well, the wing end plates are quite radical, different. We haven't seen the diffuser of the car. You've covered that back up again. But it seems as though um, that, that is a different uh, set, of, uh, set of parameters as well at the back. At the end, if you change something on the aerodynamics on the very front, it will influence the rear of the car as well. But also this, it's still early stage, and I'm sure that when you talk about shape of end plates, there's more to come for the beginning of the season. Um, it was clear in 2015 that it was, there was no point in trying to improve just one part of the car, that everything had to be optimised inside, outside the car strategy. But every part, aero, drive, hybrid... Um, do you feel as though you've taken a big enough step here with the 16 car? Yes, for sure. I think really making the step into the 6 megajoule class, getting us as close as possible uh, with the diesel combustion engine to the Porsche is very important. That should give us the weapon in our hand. Uh, when you talk about overall configuration, yes, yeah, even more complex calendar next year. We not only talk high downforce, low downforce for the main characteristics, we also will be challenged by Mexico. Uh, which will probably, you know, induce uh, another package of, of whatever kind. Um, so for sure, you know, the challenge continues, but for the moment we're on the road. We know that the flywheel was at the end of its life, so battery power. Two Kurs uh, hybrid harvesting devices? At the moment we don't confirm any, any more than we said so far. Um, we do store our NG in batteries. Uh, which is at the moment a, a big technological challenge because that is uh, built in-house and therefore you know, we tie to really take that technology by its horns. And that's something that you guys have to learn, that uh, one of your competitors at least is have, have some, some experience of. That clearly is going to be a challenge or again, is there a confidence within Audi Sport that you've got your head around this technology? 
I think the confidence is beyond uh, the limits of Audi Sport because, as usual, we are part of the, the uh, general technical development department at Audi, and especially when it comes to new technology like now with the batteries, we are in very close linkage to not only get the best out of their knowledge, but also whatever we develop to have them accessible for, for future road car developments. Final technical question, which you'll probably not be able to mention, but <laughs> di- diesel we know, uh, presumably TDI, turbo diesel, and any hints that you can give us on the either size of the configuration, number of cylinders? It's a six-cylinder, four-litre. And there was no thought of, of, cha- of, of stepping away from diesel? You still believe that you can find the balance within the technical regulations that will make you competitive against the gasoline cars? From the technical point, there has to be always a review. What are your best chances? What are the best odds? What kind of concept, what kind of combustion technology you bring along? Yeah? But as long as we have a chance to stay competitive with a diesel engine, for us running into a, in a series where efficiency is a, is a main target, it's the most authentic thing to use the combustion engine, which is exactly that, the most efficient engine out there. The rear end of the car looks very low, six-cylinder V6, presumably uh, diesel, giving you an opportunity again to maximise the, the rear end of the car? Yes, I mean, that is what I said. You probably start, uh, not probably, you do start at the very front, make your, you make your RNM concept and then go along to the rear. But obviously there also we, we try to, to use uh, the freedom we have within the regulation to the max. Let's talk about something we weren't expecting tonight. Most of what we've talked about, I think we had a reasonable idea. Only two cars for Le Mans. That came as a bit of a surprise. For sure, and it hasn't been uh, long decided yet, so it's still, in a way, hurting us um, because we had a very good lineup, uh, and the number nine car showed very, very strong also in Le Mans, and we really prepared all season two. They did a lot of testing for us while the other squad was on the on the road for the WEC um, that we had to reduce it. But at the end, um, we are happy that we could confirm the works program as it stood. We're happy to have the new machinery here available. Um, but, yes, it will only be two cars in Lemo. Does it affect how you approach and attack that race particularly and, indeed, the rest of the season for exactly the things that you've just said about being able to split the work between more cars? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's for sure in the build-up to, to the Le Mans race uh, to have only the two cars available uh, will have a complete difference in the, this, I mean, just a setup. We only have two pits now, eh? <laughs> So there's, there's a lot of changes uh, going to happen. Um, so, yeah, but also, you know, the odds, the risk does change for us. So the approach has to follow up on that. And given that you've got a completely new package for 2016 and certainly one of your competitors will have a slightly more proven package... Does that make you slightly worried? Not really, because uh, as far as we know, we're ahead in time schedule, and we should be, because we come with a complete new car, so we should be on the timeline a bit ahead, and through that should make up for that. What are the simulations saying about uh, in terms of performance for this year at Le Mans? 3.20 is the time that the ACO don't want anybody to beat. I don't think anybody that I've spoken to so far believes that you'll be much over that, and most people think you'll be under that. Well, I think too early in the testing process at the moment to confirm already target times for Le Mans. Um, obviously, the car is designed to certain targets, which still have to be proven on track at this time of the project. Uh, but for sure, we hope we will be listing quick and quicker than the competition. And how much actual track testing have you done with the car? I know it's had a lot of wind tunnel time, but you've actually had the car out running uh, around the circuits. We have been in Paul Ricard uh, at one excessive test. Chris Rankin from Audi Sport talking to me just moments after the brand new Audi R18 e-tron Quattro 
was unveiled to us here at the Audi Training Centre in Munich. Now, one of the big things that came out of that unveiling was the fact that the major manufacturers will only be fielding two cars each rather than the usual three at the Le Mans 24 hours in 2016. The guardians of sports car racing around the world and of course of the 24 hours of the are the Automobile Club de la West and Pierre Fion is the president of that august organisation. I caught up with him earlier on in the evening just after the car had been unveiled to ask him about the thinking behind that decision and also about the state of sports car racing in general. Audi, uh, I think, did a good, good job. Uh, you know they, they want to, to win again, to win Le Mans. Uh, they change of category uh, next year in, uh, with a 6 megajoule and uh, this new car. It, it's very good for the next season. It's been an exceptional season, an extraordinary season of Le Mans and WEC racing. This is the first of next year's cars. If they all look like this standing still, we're going to have another great season, aren't we? I'm sure we'll have a great season because, you know, uh, uh, Porsche was the only uh, guy uh, with battery. Uh, Next year, we will have a new hybrid system and new engine uh, in Toyota, the new car of Audi with a new hybrid system. So uh, everything is uh, here to, uh, to have a big, big fight next year. Le Mans is the world's greatest motor race. You have come to an agreement and the, manage, the management of the OEMs of, of Porsche and, and Audi have come to an agreement for two cars only at Le Mans. How will this affect Le Mans and why is this step being taken? I think it's a positive step. Because, you know, uh, Toyota have two cars, so exactly the same chance to win for every uh, brand. So, for me, this is the first point. The second point, that it's two, two places for other people. And I think we will, uh, be ha- we will uh, get happy, two more teams. So, I think it's uh, very good news. And, as you know, we have two more garages next year. So, it's four cars more next year. Is it likely that in 2017 we will review the situation with the major manufacturers to perhaps allow them to have three cars again? Le Mans is... uh, The entry are on invitation, so we can choose three or two cars. Uh, It's not in the rules to have... You can have more than two cars, so it's not in the rule. It's a question, and I think uh, we will uh, think about that next year. But... I think it's a good thing to, to keep two cars. And is this a positive sign for endurance racing in general, and Le Mans in particular, that you feel it's important to give more people a chance? Does that mean more people are asking to come to Le Mans and, and therefore you feel it's important to make those, those garage spaces and those entries available? Yes, you know, uh, every year it's... Uh, uh, it's very difficult for us to, to eliminate 10 or 12 uh, teams, very good teams. They have the, their place on the, on the, on the race. So uh, it's a reason why we, uh, we, uh, built, we will build this, this uh, garage. And uh, yes, this is a target. That's Pierre Fion, the president of the Automobile Club de l'Ouest, the guardians of endurance 
Racing and the Le Mans 24 Hours, of course. You're listening to a RadioLeMans.com special from the Audi Sport Finale at Munich uh, here in Germany. We've just seen the unveiling of the 2016 Audi Challenger, but earlier on this week, on our way down here, we called in at Cologne to see Toyota and Pascal Vassalon, the man who looks after Toyota Gazoo Racing, and was able to answer some of our questions. It's definitely good for the team to, to end the season on a positive note, on a positive trend. Uh, it's very good. It was very good, obviously, as well for uh, Alex, who uh, fully deserved, basically, to, uh, to finish from his side uh, as well his career on a, on a more positive note, mm-hmm. let's say, compared to the rest of the season. It sort of underlines just how competitive and how fast-moving this branch of motorsport is in that throughout the season your cars were considerably quicker than they were last year I think at Shanghai for example you took something like two and a half seconds out of your lap record and yet you were fifth and sixth on the grid is that you guys being a little conservative is that the competition doing a better job do they understand the regulations better put that in perspective for us I can tell you we went through a cycle of emotions between end of 14 and uh, and 15. Uh, let me explain quickly. End of 14, we were already raising flags internally uh, that considering our limited resources, we may be in trouble to follow basically the development rate we were fearing, let's say. That was end of 14. But at the time, obviously, we were told off basically because we were dominating and it was very difficult to be credible asking for more resources when we had been virtually able to win all the, the races of the of the season. But we were clearly anticipating something. That was the first phase of the cycle. Then we rolled the car, uh, we made the rollout in January and immediately, let's say rollout, test one, test two, we realized that our new car was between 2 and 2.5 seconds faster than the car before. Even if we had not developed much the engine, not developed much the hybrid system, what we had done was worse through 2 to 2.5 seconds, which in our experience of top-level motorsport, F1 and WEC, was never seen before. We have never seen, within a safe, stable regulation, such a progress. So we thought, wow, it may work again. And then we were not optimistic, but we were reasonably looking forward for the season. And then we have had a series of facts which have shown us that when we had gained 2.5 seconds, the others have gained 4 or 5 seconds. So that's how it is. It means that from our side, we have made big progress in one area. The others have made big progress in all development area of the car engine, hybrid system, chassis. And this is fantastic somehow. Uh, it's fantastic. It, uh, it shows at the moment that there is the series is very healthy. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic, but it can be scary as well for the future of the series because uh, this kind of rate doesn't come free of charge, for sure. This kind of progress rate, which for me has no equivalent in modern motorsport, has never been seen recently, doesn't come free of charge. So, yeah, fantastic for engineers, fantastic for the momentum of the series. We have to be careful with the future of the series, what it means if we 
would need every year to do such such a step. But okay, uh, we went through this cycle of emotion, as I said, we fully realized the magnitude of our problem in SPA. So it, com- it came quite quickly. We have had the prologue, Silverstone, but Silverstone, we are still able to be somehow not present at the front, but in the game. We finished third, 15 seconds, some good strategy call. We, we were in the race. SPA, we were not in the race. And our analysis has been immediately that there was no bad luck involved. No, it was really something true. So SPA, we realized the magnitude of the problem. And this has allowed us basically to, to engineer a reaction, a late reaction, because when you make fundamental decisions like changing the engine, or, uh, in May it's too late normally for the year after. But nevertheless, it was as early as possible. And we have been quite quick at understanding what was going on. And then, yes, we, we understood the magnitude of our issue in SPA, and we made immediately a series of decisions, which have been all finalized nearly by Le Mans, to kick off the development of a completely new car. And we have had the backing uh, of our mother company, TMC, to, um, to fund this development. I'll, I'll come back to the new car in a moment, but I want to pick up on something that you said there. And I think, by the way, everybody agrees with you in terms of the magnitude of development being unseen in any form of motorsport before. What do you put that down to? It's stable regulations. That's the thing that you said. It's not as if we've made big changes in the regulations and now that's why we've got quicker. What is it then that your competitors, do you think, have been able to do, you will have analysed their performance, to find this phenomenal amount of time? You guys, two and a half seconds, pretty much everywhere. Those four, four and a half seconds. Two and a half seconds on a normal track and four seconds in Le Mans. Mans. Our gain, race average, is four seconds per lap in Le Mans, considering the weight changes. So it's, we are talking about already very big gains from our side. What I told you just before is that we have been working only in a few areas of the car. I mean, we had a to-do list and we have crossed a few items because our competitors have been working on all elements of the package and they have found one, one and a half second on each element, chassis, engine, hybrid system. That's how I would say it's not a guess because we've, we do more than guesses, but we do some retro-engineering of competitor performance. We know roughly where they have been gaining, how much they have been gaining on each item, and clearly there has been a very strong development rate on all the systems, all the elements of the package. So particularly for someone like Porsche, it's not just... It would be easy to look from the outside and say, well, Porsche have eight megajoules, you've got six, Audi's got four, therefore there's the advantage. It's not just easy to say it's one part, it's a, a sum of the parts. It's a sum. You cannot... You cannot gain five seconds working on one element of the package. You have to work on every element of the package, for sure. So then going to 2016 and a TSO 50, which will be your challenger, um, you've had a couple of re- revisions of the TSO 40. Do I understand then that the fact that you have called this car the TSO 50 means that this is a complete redevelopment of the car, almost a, a reimagining of the concept? This is what it, uh, what it means, exactly. It means it will be a new car, new chassis, new bodywork, new engine, new hybrid system. Initially, it was not planned to be the case. Initially, I would say in, uh, in April of this year, the target was to keep our engine one more season. This was the plan. And then we came to the conclusion that it was not possible. And we went for this complete overall of the, of the car. So TSO50 will be a completely new, new car, yeah. 
in some ways then, the fact that, that you were able to analyse the performance of the TSO 40 at Silverstone Spa and then make those decisions as quick as you were able to, to move quickly. You're a slightly smaller organisation perhaps than some of your competitors. Has that helped you with the 2016 car to be able to, to, to make that quite fundamental change of direction to become more competitive? Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, but still, the decision remains late. We have been quick at changing it. We have been quick at... Uh, making all the analysis needed to change the decision. Nevertheless, we are in front of a fundamental decision in terms of package, which came late, and then we are uh, handling a schedule which is not comfortable at all. Porsche this year was the only uh, one of the three major manufacturers who had uh, two distinctly different uh, hybrid um, harvesting systems. Uh, one um, from the the car itself and one from the engine, so two very different ones. Is that the way forward and is that the sort of sideways thinking, if you like, that you guys have had to think about in putting your new package together? At the moment, uh, within the current regulation, we have to stick to two uh, recovery systems. We have chosen our, I would say, we have made our technological choice. Uh, we went for two curves. And we are not going to question that because if we were to drop one, uh, if we were to implement an exhaust gas recovery system, we would have to drop one curse. Yes. And this we would not like uh, to do it because our conclusion is that the best performance density is obtained with a curse. What I mean by performance density is second per kilo of hybrid system. Right. Because a curse is heavier than exhaust gas recovery. But one kilo of curse gives more performance than one kilo of exhaust gas recovery. And for us, at the end of the calculation, performance density is better with the curse. If we manage to fit it within the minimum, uh, the car minimum uh, weight, weight, of course. Yes, of course. Does that calculation with exhaust gas recovery, clearly you've done uh, a lot of very complex arithmetic and mathematics, does that calculation change very much depending on the size of the internal combustion engine? Porsche use a very small engine and therefore quite a lot of boost. So th- does that calculation sway back towards it, the smaller the engine is? Oh, there are many parameters which, uh, which enter into this, uh, this calculation, but the, the fundamental is that the energy you recover in the, in the exhaust system has an impact on the efficiency of the engine. It's not free of charge. Uh, when the energy you recover from braking is completely free of charge, as soon as you have a braking system which works well, mm-hmm. it's a precondition. Our sy- braking system works very well. It's one of our consistent, I would say, uh, advantage compared to competition. This braking system allows us to have transparent braking energy recovery. So, yeah, we recover energy free of charge. Mm-hmm. When if you recover on the exhaust, especially if you go to high figures of recovery, you have to hurt somehow the engine efficiency. We've seen part of the development in the hybrid side of things is the rapid development of battery technology. You guys came in with the very sexy and very science fiction sounding supercapacitor. We had be, it been trailed from yourselves that this would probably be the last year of that system. Uh, to move into 2016? Is it a, a battery system that you guys and, and six or, or eight megajoules? I think we, we already said uh, already 
two years ago, I think, we, that we were conducting studies in parallel uh, with batteries, in parallel to supercapacitors, to be able to understand when would be the crossover point, basically. And for us, this time has come. So we will, uh, we will switch to, to batteries, um, to a battery system next year. Is that decision... Um, it was oh. made before, uh, this decision was made before the beginning of the season. It was something which was anticipated and planned as a result of the studies we were conducting, which were showing that the crossover point would come between 15 and 16. And when you say the crossover point, you're talking about, in terms of battery technology, the size, weight and efficiency of energy storage, uh, harvesting and, and then uh, replaying that energy. From the beginning... Uh, one parameter of the battery is very good, it's the energy density. The uh, battery has the capacity to have very big storage, which is not the case of capacitor, but it's not such a big problem with our current system. The weakness of batteries so far was power density. Mm-hmm. It means you needed really a lot of weight to achieve the level of power we need to recover braking, because we recover on both axles. So in terms of power need, we have more uh, we need more power with a double curse than a single curse and exhaust gas recovery in terms of power of re- uh, energy recovery. So we needed power density with our storage system, which was offered by the capacitor till recently where the batteries now are able to match or even overpass the capacitors in terms of power density and be much better in energy density. So now it becomes a no-brainer. only for people who have very big brains does it become a no-brainer but thank you for explaining that Um, I have a a little bit of of knowledge of of batteries because of the remote control uh, racing that I've been involved with and I know one of the big issues with batteries um, particularly when you're charging and recharging them is heat Uh, and the management of that heat we saw in some of your competitors uh, early stages was an issue People are getting to understand that a lot better. And it's not just about cutting holes in, in the bodywork of the car. Um, is that an area that you feel that there's, there's, there's uh, advancements to be made? Oh, of course. The, the cooling uh, concept of the energy storage is really uh, part of the concept from the beginning. When you design an energy storage, whether it is a capacitor or a battery, the cooling concept and the cooling requirement are taken into account from the very, very early stage of the concept. It's become very obvious very quickly in these um, highly technical regulations that the ACO and the FIA have produced for us uh, in the FIA World Endurance Championship that, and you've touched on it, that the car has to be looked at as a complete thing, holistically. You can't just major on one thing. That's true of of the power unit, the curse systems, all of the hybrid systems as well. You've clearly been looking at some of these crossover points. How has that affected your choice of engine, configuration, cubic capacity, uh, and possibly even fuel? I think the, the engine, we, we are going to change uh, engine technology, no mystery uh, about that. Uh, conclusion is that uh, a naturally aspirated engine can reach a quite good efficiency level, but the, the range in which we reach this efficiency is quite narrow when a turbo may not be much, much higher in peak value, but it will offer a much wider 
bandwidth, basically. And it will be less sensitive to altitude, to temperature. To you, you have, with a turbo, you have your expected efficiency level in any condition. Yes. When with a naturally aspirated engine, you cannot always maximize your efficiency. When you get it, when you get it into the sweet uh, spot, that's fine. You are not far away, but you are not always on this sweet spot. This is the conclusion of these last years. I think I speak for anyone who's ever stood trackside and listened to one of your cars go by that it is one of the sweetest sounding uh, racing engines that, that anybody's ever heard. That clearly is going we to... We kept it a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. I like that, that there's some emotion there. Um, I'm hesitating. And, oh, the sound is so much better. Let's keep it. <laughs> it. It's going to be a fact that the new engine won't sound the same. It's turbocharged. Um, it, I, I will miss that. But you guys, of course, have got to be very hard-headed uh, about this. As we look forward into 2016 then, um, the regulations haven't changed. You've done your calculations. There is still the choice between 2, 4, 6, 8 megajoules. Um, it would appear that the way to go is to have a, a greater reliance on the hybrid side of things, and you've already talked about the efficiency of your hybrid harvesting side of things with your curves. Is that the way that you've been drawn or is there still trade-offs that you've got to decide on and and make those decisions? No, there is now no doubt about what we have to target. We have to target the 8 megajoule system within the weight limits. This is uh, the way forward. We, uh, there is no, there is such a performance gain with uh, going into the higher classes of uh, hybrids that it's, it's, it has to be the target. When we see the TSO 50, um, are we going to look at it and say that we could see the DNA of the the O40 and possibly even previous Le Mans cars, or is it going to be a very different concept? When we first saw the LMP1 car, the aerodynamics particularly were very different from that of your competitors. Things have become slightly more evened out between the three major manufacturers. Without giving us any trade secrets, Pascal, what what are we going to say? What are we, what's our reaction going to be when we see this car for the first time? I think the TSO50 will look like a member of the family, but uh, a young one. Uh, <laughs> <quite>. <laughs> and a very fit one. Fitter one, yes. <laughs> I saw where you were going with that. Um, You've had now a decent lead-in time, obviously, to uh, since the, the early part of, of the 2015 season. Um, you never have enough time in, in motor racing. We have the prologue again uh, to, to start the season off. Clearly, there's a lot of work to do before then. How have you been able to benchmark where you think the performance will be for next year? We saw these huge performance gains in 2015. How do you even start put the finger in the air, have that idea of, yeah, this package is going to be good enough. Uh, we have had uh, to make the exercise of anticipating the progress of the others just to set our own targets. Uh, I cannot disclose, obviously, these, uh, these figures, but uh, we have. it has been a combination of looking at the facts, which has been achieved this year, and then implemented, I would say, some boundary conditions, some limits, which makes that uh, probably the progress rate will not be uh, similar. Uh, normally, we should see some saturation for different reasons for all, all manufacturers. So we have done, I would say, some engineering around that to, to estimate uh, what will be the progress rate. 
and we will see if we get it right uh, or get it wrong. But I cannot disclose the feeling. No, no, I, and I, I, I didn't think you would do. The thorny subject looking further ahead into the future is regulations and whether regulations should continue as they are now or there should be... We know there will be a new monocoque, set of new monocoque regulations coming 17 um, uh, for the P1 category. Um, what is your and the team's thinking there? Uh, what is that again? You've mentioned finances a, a couple of times there. Um, what is that again by moving the goalposts again, or would we get more and more relevant technology by refining the concepts we've already got? We, we are part of the group, obviously, uh, discussing these things, and we, we will have to accept at the end the, uh, the decision of the group. But we have expressed our opinion, and our opinion was that we are not far away from an F1-like crisis. And we have, I would say, warned that it may not be reasonable to uh, move the goalposts soon, because it's already difficult, basically, to fully exploit the current regulation. Uh, we have resource limitation. I think our competitor may have as well uh, further resource limitation in the future. Uh, let's say at, at the moment in F1, if someone was coming and saying, OK, look, guys, next year we double the level of energy, everyone would think, you're crazy. Uh, already several teams are dying. We cannot... You, we, cannot anyway. we are doing that. We are targeting that. So we, we have raised uh, our arms to say danger, mm. maybe danger, because yes, we need to keep a momentum, but we have already a lot of momentum. It's already, again, difficult to fully explore the regulation. There may be a danger to raise the bar, to trigger additional costs. There is a risk. We cannot deny that. And, and finally, from me, the, um, there's been a, a, a linkage between this programme and Toyota back in Japan and road car research and development. Um, again, no trade secrets required here, Pascal. But this rate of development that we've seen, how much of this, not necessarily identical technology, but certainly understanding of systems, systems control and interaction, how much of this that, that you have had to go through in the past couple of years, and again for the TSO 50, how much of that is making its way back to the cars of not maybe even 10 years or five years down the road, but a couple of years down the road that we're likely to be driving out there on the street? In our case, the transfer of technology is is happening on a daily basis because uh, the people who are uh, handling our hybrid system are part of the hybrid division. Uh, I mean, the, the motorsport division in Japan and the hybrid division are rotating personnel. So the people who are doing our hybrid system come from the hybrid division and go back. We have, all, we have had already a few people who have designed the first system in 2012 who are back at the hybrid division and they have been replaced. So the technology transfer is happen on a daily basis because they are the same, the same people. Uh, then into the details, these people use their knowledge, their knowledge database, basically. But for a racing system, we optimize different parameters. We optimize power density. It's not a major concern on... Um, on road cars. Nevertheless, the knowledge database of Toyota hybrid people is increasing, basically. They, they see new, um, new processes within the racing um, uh, world. Uh, they know they have maybe to work faster. 
they have to uh, to find the correct compromise between, I would say, um, speed of development and uh, triple check of, of everything. So they learn in terms of processes, they learn in terms of techniques, for example, to optimize structural efficiency. Mm -hmm. So definitely there is, I would say, uh, benefits from both sides. We clearly benefit from the knowledge base of Toyota hybrid system. They benefit from the methodology and the pace of motorsport. And there's an element as well, of course, that is not technical, but that is educational and attitudinal, because people look at hybrid very differently now than even they did in, in 2012 in terms of streetcar technology. This is what is very good for, for Toyota, because at the moment, uh, I'm not sure that anyone buys a Toyota hybrid to have fun. And, uh, the hybrid image is not something fun and sexy. It's the very first time with these cars since the AC was implemented these uh, these regulations that an hybrid car becomes, I would say, fun and sexy. Graham Goodwin is here. There's two things really. You've got one quick technical question, which is moving the supercap um, with the big V8 to a smaller uh, turbo engine with the batteries. Where does the weight balance change? What, what's, what, where are we with, with tech? We know what Porsche have managed to achieve uh, year on year is no weight a disadvantage with a battery pack that is actually more capable. In terms of the, the, the relative weight of the major components, how does that work now moving forward? Okay, well, what is uh, interesting is that uh, the weight difference between a big atmospheric engine and a small turbo is not... Uh, uh, it's totally different weight perimeter. Of course, a turbo engine will be smaller in size, but it will need some additional component like the turbo, like yeah. the intercoolers, and at the end, the difference is not that much. In other words, basically, you would not go for a turbo engine just to be lighter. Yeah. Certainly not. I guess the, the, the other question still applies, though, which is with the advances you were talking about, that crossover has happened. Yes, you've got the kind of cooling capacity, but also there is that weight and packaging, the weight and the physical bulk of that. Are we, are we at the stage now where you have no weight penalty moving to batteries? The weight is a continuous concern. I mean, we, we need to especially go into higher and higher energy classes. The weight is a, is a continuous concern and it's a, uh, we, we handle it as a process, basically. It means we have every component and assembly, sub-assembly has a weight target and we have to match that to make sure that we don't explode the, the weight figure at the end of the day. Even if now, the regulations are designed to make the powertrain a major performance factor. Uh, the aero efficiency is still a very important factor. Clearly, it's not the only one. Like, for example, F1 in a recent past, the very dominant factor was aero. Mm -hmm. Now, powertrain with these new regulations, powertrain is maybe number one. But it doesn't mean that uh, aero is second order. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. You know, one the the very early moves this year that we saw a fundamental shift from TMC from the from the parent company towards this program being at the core of their R and D. Has that made it easier for you to actually get an audience at TMC, or has that made it more difficult in terms of what's re what's required from TMG feeding into the parent company's you know wish list? Uh, our company is uh, completely embedded in the R and D. I would say. Uh, uh, divisions of, uh, of, uh, of TMC, we are, uh, uh, our bosses in Japan are the leaders of the technical areas and we are 
Besides our motorsport uh, activities, we are an R&D center for Toyota. It means this company is not only Toyota Motorsport for WEC. We are as well an R&D center for, uh, for Toyota road car division, for engine development, chassis development. So a resource. Exactly. We are part of Toyota R&D. So it's very, our WEC program is naturally considered as, yes, part of Toyota R&D. The party is in full swing here at the Audi Training Centre at Munich Airport for the Audi Sport Finale 2015. Audi Sport have been celebrating uh, all of their achievements in motorsport and whilst they haven't had the ultimate prize in the FIA WEC, it's been a successful season for individuals and teams and also their single manufacturer series of course with the Audi R8 LMS Cup with the TTRS Cup a brand new series for them supporting the DTM and indeed the DTM themselves where they won 10 of the 18 races although didn't manage to come away with any of the major championships and Dr Wolfgang Ulrich the man at the head of Audi Sport quite clear that that wasn't good enough earlier on this evening he took time to answer questions from a number of the members of the press including us here at RadioLeMond.com The atmosphere is uh, that you have after a season being quite convinced to have a car that can win races but not being 100% able to exploit it which is an additional motivator for everybody to try to make it even better and we are in the situation that we knew that the 15 car is only a car that is based on the existing 14 car that we will not make a big move in hybrid power that we have to stick to the basically same car and our area where we could really do some big development was aerodynamics and I think there we succeeded a lot in parallel we started with the completely new car concept with a new monocoque concept with a completely new aero concept that was based on what we have learned but has put us even one step more forward I'm quite convinced and with the new (laughs) hybrid concept I think we have to be there we want to be ready to go for victories it's a completely new car concept and uh, we pushed it all together in all the areas we tried to go to the limit hybrid engine bodywork structure and aerodynamics and you have to exploit all to the max possible if you want to be competitive on the level that the challenge in this championship is running. Now, we move into the highest hybrid class that a diesel can achieve. You clearly looked at every opportunity, so 8 megajoule was not achievable within the weight limit for the car? No way with a diesel. And that was the compromising factor? The weight of the engine. Yeah, this was known from the beginning. If you look in the, at, the, at the EUT, it is even written in the EUT that nobody thinks that you can go in a higher class with a diesel engine. Yeah. It's a part of the rule book. You now have to learn a new hybrid technology, storage at least, with the battery powers. Um, how confident are you as we stand here now 
that you can optimise that side of the car and how much will 2016 be that awful phrase a learning year there's no space for learning years we have to learn and understand before the season starts and I think we are in that since quite some time for sure not an easy task but everybody's pushing hard and I think we have quite some experience in-house and that's what we want to use Battery technology, a lot of the performance of battery technology is governed by cooling. Lots of movement forward in that technology and battery technology itself is moving forward so quickly. Have you finalised for the whole season what your tactics will be there or have you given yourself room to be able to perhaps improve as the season goes on? Our target has to be that we start in the season with having a complete car that is competitive and reliable. And I think as we did it always during the season, we will try to make the one or other step to improve components, but to say which ones will be the ones that are the ones that bring us <laughs> the biggest step forward. I can't tell you before the car was really running and we know where we are. Last year was an extraordinary season in terms of the racing and for the leap forward in performance that all of the manufacturers uh, achieved. Have you experienced anything like that? We saw last year in terms of the lap times improvement uh, over the previous season when there's been no change in regulations. It was, it was quite remarkable, wasn't it? Yeah, there's no question. It was remarkable and it is also remarkable how WCFIA and ACO managed to bring these different car concepts together. Each car had different strengths and uh, uh, at the end it made great racing. So I have to say at, the, at base the idea and what has been worked out from these guys, I have to say chapeau, great racing. Finally and slightly uh, one step perhaps removed from the racing in general you have the red rhombus in your uh, in your jacket there Audi Sport is now a brand and a brand in its own right that has uh, influence and indeed responsibility for the S and the RS models I was just looking at an RS Q3 on the way in here how big a step is that for Audi and how important is it for Audi Sport as a brand I think it is just something that really makes sense uh, Audi Sport is known worldwide for many many years as the motorsport department for Audi and uh, the link between our motorsport activities the race program and the race cars and the top road cars the most sporty ones is just something that makes sense and it started to run together some years ago now the build up of the new brand I think is something that even underlines that Audi worldwide sees Audi Sport as something well known worldwide and well known appreciated at what has been happening also underlines the relevance of the technology that's in all of these 
race cars that we're standing alongside. The TT Cup, based on the TTRS, obviously the DTM car is a, is a bespoke item. The technology that's in the R18 and, of course, the RA LMS, which has its base absolutely in a, in a street car. These are all mobile laboratories for you. They are, there is no question. And I think you learned today that this uh, GT3 car was developed completely in parallel with the road car, which is something very, very special. And it only shows that we really want to use motorsport development to motivate and to bring impulses into road car technology. Dr. Wolfgang Ulrich talking to us earlier on this evening. Graham Goodwin, the editor of DailySportsCar.com, is is with me now. It's been a very interesting couple of days, Graham, and listening to what Alex Hittinger from Porsche had to say earlier on in the programme, it's clear to me that the level of competition and the level of development that we thought was extraordinary in 2015 is no less diminished as we're in the very early throws of 2016. In fact, we've only seen one of the cars that will be challenging for honours next year, but that Audi, my goodness, it looks like it's going to jump up and bite you and it's standing still. It really is a matter of just how sharp can you sharpen a blade, isn't it? I think what you've seen tonight here at Audi, John, is we could look upon it as a glass half empty and as bad news. Two cars for Audi, two cars for Porsche, two cars for Toyota at Le Mans. Actually, let's think back a month. Let's think in the thick of VW gates what could have happened I think it's good news. I think what you've got is a pragmatic approach from the factory teams, and we could find ourselves with very 21st century cars with pace and reliability having to run a very old-fashioned sort of Le Mans, anticipating that new tech. We've seen some of it, a little bit of a hint of it tonight. We talked with Toyota just a couple of days ago about what's coming from there. With very new tech and potential reliability concerns I think we're going to see cars capable of much more maybe forced into underachieving over 24 hours at Le Mans and that means if an issue does arise they've got the opportunity to fight back we could be on the cusp of a classic if I take that point of view you can't argue with Pierre Fion though saying that ultimately a couple of extra garages and a couple of extra invitations for teams for whom Le Mans, dare I say it, might mean more ultimately in business terms than an extra car for the manufacturers. I don't think that could be a bad thing, can it? Well, take away potentially three or four factory cars that may not turn up. We don't know what Nissan's plans are. We know Porsche, we know Audi, we know Toyota. One fewer car than perhaps people expected. Plus two garages, okay, minus two Fords, between three and five likely privateer teams will have an extra car or, or one car there that maybe we didn't expect this year maybe that might be a turning point for privateers in the, in the ACO family well particularly when the ACO it's not like the ACO are short of people who want to be there as Pierre said you know pretty much every year they're turning away 10 or a dozen entries that could be there possibly should be there and with the growth of the European Le Mans series and potentially all right, not now maybe, but in future years, the Asian Le Mans series. What do you say to these guys who are supporting ACO series and then can't get an invite, can't get a ticket to the big show? What you say now, come and play. 
and actually more to the point you say come and play to a couple of teams that might have been on the cusp or you say come and play with two cars to some of those aspirant teams that want to take a step up that I think is good news yes it's disappointing for those of us that love the real fight at the sharp end we're going to have fewer factory cars in pure terms uh, Le Mans than perhaps we'd hoped for but we're still going to have four factory teams we're still going to have two cars at least for each of those four factory teams and it's going to be a hell of a fight beyond that what we've got is a grid with more depth in the middle order more specifically about what we've heard in the last couple of days Toyota clearly are a team who aren't happy with where they ended up at the end of the season I have some sympathy with them if I'm honest because they improved two and a half three four five percent and yet didn't really get where they wanted to be I could almost say the same about the guys who we are guests of tonight that Audi improved probably five six seven percent and didn't win the championships what we're seeing here are aggressive words and more importantly aggressive actions from these two teams to give Porsche pause for thought there is nothing in this sport more dangerous than the prevailing force than an underperforming team below them. <laughs> Toyota were world champions last year. Yeah, They've had that ripped from their grasp and then stamped upon. Audi never enter a season without expecting to be at the very top. Both those teams have underperformed against their own expectations. Porsche, if they're sensible, will see that coming. It's a freight train. It's coming from two directions. They don't want to be in the middle of it. John, you and I have had the privilege to commentate on the FIWEC season in 2015. It's been an utter, complete, all-time classic. We might, might be on the cusp of something even better. Mouthwatering, to use one of your words. Uh, thank you for listening to us tonight. This has been a special midweek motorsport presentation for RadioLamont.com. A big thank you to Toyota, to Porsche and particularly to Audi because we're at their party at the moment for uh, allowing us a little bit of an insight into their 2016 plans. We'll be back next week at 8 o'clock for another edition of Midweek Motorsport, 8 o'clock in the UK. That's 3 o'clock Eastern time. Do the arithmetic yourself depending on where you are around the world. But for now, there's no time to explain the llama seems to be moonwalking in the background this program is a radio show limited production tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com